Well, thank you, Pastor Zach, and welcome to the Awakening Church. We are glad that you're back with us, whether you're viewing from your living room, your bedroom, your jammies, or you're dressed up, you're ready to go sit outside, I don't know, maybe you're on a phone, maybe you're watching a big screen television, but uh, you are here and we are glad that you are with us. I want to uh, encourage us to um, continue to stay connected by different means, and um my uh, slides are going to have come up here a little bit, and we're going to uh, walk through God's Word. But if you would uh, just bow with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, today, through electronic means, we unite together as your church body, not only in the Temecula Valley, but literally across the nation and around the world, Lord, people who um, dialed in last week to be able to join with us. We pray today, God, that you would continue to stir in our hearts what you want to speak to us about. We thank you that we're able to come and to worship you. But Lord, open us up to hear from your spirit. May we find ourselves in these days strangely drawn to you in some unique and special ways that have never existed before. And God, may you raise us up as a people to do your kingdom's work. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, how's it going in this unique time of history? It was interesting. It was a couple, three weeks ago when this all sort of started out. And I remember coming out into the living room and my uh, teenage daughter had been uh, maybe watching some news or something like that. And she said, Dad, are we making history right now? And I said, yes, <laughs> we are making history right now. They will uh, have recorded in uh, history books the pandemic of uh, 2020 when there was a coronavirus that went rogue and started to move its way across the world in dramatic fashion and taking many people's lives and being able to alter uh, cultures and societies in strange and unique ways. This week I actually uh, was forced to get out of my home uh, being secluded there and working from home uh, to go to Kaiser, which is the pharmaceutical company here and uh, where our medical insurance is with. And I went to Kaiser's Pharmacy to pick up a couple uh, prescriptions here in Marietta. And it was just surreal. And those of you that have been out a little bit, not only is it the six-foot distancing, but it's the face mask, and they check you to make sure that you're okay or you haven't been uh, unhealthy recently, those kinds of things. And then everybody's demeanor was just sort of somber, sort of slowed down, and you were just almost mechanical, standing in line, next person and then next person, and getting your prescriptions. And it was just surreal. Had the opportunity then to slip into Target to try to get just a few grocery items. And uh, the shelves are barren in different places with different kinds of items. And uh, they're wiping down the grocery cart to make sure that that's clean. And then you have to stand in your six-foot lines. And then uh, the checkout people have gloves on. And you're just like, am I living in a twilight zone? Is this a movie or what's going on? But it's interesting because... As I mentioned last week, there's different words that can come to us in this time. Fear, frustration, concern. But I challenged this last week to grab a hold of a word 
and that is anticipating. Anticipating what God is going to be doing through this crisis for his glory. Not that he caused the crisis, but he allowed the crisis and somehow us being able to, uh, being forced to bunker in our homes, not being able to have church in a gathering place like this, businesses being shut down, social distancing being practiced. I learned how to really wash my hands this week from a, a little video kind of thing. All, all this that's going on, God is at work. And I've been praying this week that he would open up my heart to understand what he is doing. And here this morning, as we share from God's word and we are challenged, I would pray that God would open your heart, sort of like pull back the curtain and go, what's going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm? And so I've been asking the question, what's next? What's next? And could what's next be a great spiritual awakening. You see, we have um, different ways of viewing this whole crisis. And if you've been consumed with the news, you know that they are going to be addressing certain issues uh, culture-wide, nationwide, globally. And those issues are going to fall into some categories. And so we're glued to the TV screen trying to find, you know, what's maybe the latest news or the changes or what's happening in other places. Is the curve being flattened? Are people starting to recover? Whatever it may be. But these would be some of the categories you would find. And the uh, categories I have, um, the concerns of the coronavirus outbreak in our world today are these. I'm not quite sure if my remote's working here or not. But um, are we working? I'm not working. There we go. Or we're not working. If you can maybe check on that some. And um, that always figures where the electronic means. There we go. And so predominantly when you watch your news, they're focused on two things. Physical well-being and financial well-being. You see the charts every morning. You see the spread. How many people have contracted coronavirus? How many people have uh, recovered from it? How many people have passed away? And so there's this immense concern on the physical well-being and hospitals being overrun. And, and you know, what's going to be the next big place where something's uh, going to be, um, you know, taking a hit? What city? Whatever it may be. And then the next two our emotional and social well-being. These aren't talked about quite as much, but I was watching the governor of New York the other day, and he was saying we need to make sure that people have psychiatrists and, and a therapist or people that they can call because of all the concern and some of the anxiety that's going on. And so there is an aspect of the emotional well-being. And last week in this, we really encouraged us to not be in fear because God is with us. He is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of need. But there's also, <coughs> there's also the aspect of social well-being. Hopefully, hopefully this world will not um, break apart into a sense of lawlessness that happens in the land. 
<coughs> but excuse me, a dry throat doesn't get you anywhere, does it? Lawlessness in the land. But there's the idea that just being cooped up in your house, that there is a need for us to be in relational dimensions. And being isolated for so long can cause us not to be human and not have some of the passion and the heart that we have to be in relationships. So the physical well-being, the financial well-being, the emotional well-being, and then there's the social well-being. But it was interesting when uh, the governor said something to the effect of we need to get people in touch with psychologists or therapists that they need it. I was surprised. Well, I wasn't really surprised, but I think about it. Why weren't pastors listed in there or other kind of spiritual leaders? Because we traffic in the business of emotional and social well-being. And the reason is because we've separated out the two things I want us to look at this morning, and that is our spiritual well-being and our eternal well-being, as those are separate items from all the other four. But they're not. Our spiritual well-being during this time is critical, as is our eternal well-being. And so the concerns of the coronavirus outbreak in our world today are in these six categories. If I can pull back the curtain, if I can encourage us to look at our spiritual well-being and our eternal well-being, that's my desire today. Because I've asked God to say, what are you doing how can I anticipate your work in this day and age? <coughs> You've heard me say this quote before in some other kinds of dimensions. Sometimes it's attributed to C.S. Lewis, but it was actually a guy he read after by the name of George MacDonald in 1892. He says this, Never tell a child you have a soul. Teach him you are a soul. You have a body. As we learn to think of things always in this order, that the body is but the temporary clothing of the soul, our views of death and of the unbefittingness of customary mourning will approximate those of friends of earlier generations. George MacDonald shared this because as he looked around him at that time, he saw that there was a lot, there was a lot of inappropriate mourning because people didn't understand the spiritual realm. And so he said, simply put, <coughs> never tell a child you have to a soul, teach him you are a soul, you have a body. And so though there's so much focus on the body and the physical well-being with the coronavirus, I was to pull back the curtain and say, well, how are, how are things with the soul? Because a lot of the fear, a lot of the concern is because we've been brought into an environment where we're like concerned, we're concerned that things aren't going to be the same as they were before. And we're concerned, <coughs> we're concerned that we will not be able to see life return to normal or there'll be uncertainty at around every turn. And it taps into things of the soul. It was interesting this last week, maybe you read the article, I came across it. It was in the Wall Street Journal. An article written by Robert Nicholson, who's a head of the Philos Project, which is a ministry. And it said this, a coronavirus 
great awakening. <clears throat> Sometimes the most important ingredient for spiritual renewal is a cataclysmic event. The experience is new and disorienting. Life has been deceptively easy until now. Our ancestors' lives, by contrast, were guaranteed to be short and painful. The lucky ones survived birth. The luckier ones yet made it past childhood. Only in the past 200 years has humanity truly taken off. We now float through an, um, an anonymous world of air conditioning, 911 call centers, acetaminophene, and pocket-sized computers containing nearly the sum of human knowledge. We reduce nature to the, quote, the shackled form of a conquered monster, as Joseph Conrad once put it, and took control of our fate. God became irrelevant. Who saves us now, though, that the monster has broken free? Two hundred years ago, the life expectancy of a person in the United States was 35 years old. Today, life expectancy is somewhere between 75 and 80 years that you get to live. 200 years ago, the population of the earth was 1 billion people. Today, the population of the earth is 7.7 billion and more. There's been this extreme growth curve in the population of people in the world and in life expectancy. Why? Because of modern things, scientific discoveries, the way we go about doing life. And we have got lawed into thinking that we are in control of our own destiny. And that we as human beings have this long life and we don't need to think about things behind the curtain, things of the soul. Because this is the life we live existentialistic. You only go around once, so live it up the best you can. Something then like coronavirus happens and we stop dead in our tracks because it is no protector of different souls. We found out this week that the Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson... He contracted the coronavirus. So everyone in England stepping back and going, oh my goodness, you know, our, our leader has coronavirus. It doesn't matter what type of title you are, what age you are, what background you're from, how much money you have. We're all human beings. And we can contract a virus, a virus that can spread quickly and lead for some people to death. That causes us to take stock and realize that we are not in control. And so, our spiritual well-being, our eternal well-being, those aspects of our life can sort of be opened up and we can take stock of them. And that may lead some of you to fear because you're uncertain about your spiritual well-being or where you would be if you passed from this life into eternity. For others of us that know what our eternity holds because of Jesus Christ, then we're not as fearful, though we understand the process of death because we know who holds the future into eternity. These are questions that you're not going to find on the nightly news. How are things with your soul? 
If you were to pass away from the coronavirus, where would you be on the other side of death? Those are not things that are going to be discussed, but it's to us as the church, because we are the church and we are to be speaking God's word for us to address those questions. Because underneath the surface of this cataclysmic event is the potential for a great awakening spiritually. Some of the great awakenings that I've mentioned in history, I want to look at in a second. But revivals and great awakenings can be defined with a couple paragraphs that I put to you here. The first is by Jonathan Edwards, who was a part of the first great awakening in American history. In 1734, he said this, It pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy to the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. And as he led and he preached in that first great awakening, They saw many people come to know Christ in the colonies that existed at that time. Now that's a little bit more of an expansive definition where people come to know Jesus Christ during an awakening or a revival and people who are followers of Christ become enlivened to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission as we stayed as part of the awakening church. Now, a revival is where God works in a local place and has a tremendous movement. An awakening has to do with geography where that revival is expansive and goes across a much broader territory. And so if you were to look at revivals, you would find many of them, but the awakenings are fewer because of the dimensions of the geographical expansion. It would just be like with the pandemic. A pandemic is when it's broad. But an outbreak may be in a very local place. And so we pray, we have a heart for revival, for the spiritual well-being, the eternal well-being of people. And we pray, God, wake us up in this so that we may rejoice in you, the scriptures teach. But that revival can come locally and then it can come broader with an awakening. Richard Owen Roberts, he says this. He's a revival historian. He says, revival is an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. Now, some of you who are part of the awakening know that it was a few weeks ago that I addressed this issue of revival, not knowing what was going to be happening in these last few weeks. And I've been asking God, Lord, would you call me back to be a leader of a people who had a heart for revival? If we are called the Awakening Church, and we got this great sign out along the interstate now that says the Awakening Church, I parked by it this morning. I have the same routine. I go a parking space furthest away so I can leave the other parking spaces closer to the church for newer people, whoever it may be. It's actually a good practice to dial into. But I parked out by the interstate by the sign again today, and I got out of my car and I said, there it is, the Awakening Church. Boy, I trust that we are truly awake, that we are alive. And so when I shared a few weeks ago, I said, this is my heart, that we would be a church that is truly alive and that that we would be on the cusp of revival. And then God allows a pandemic to break out that causes all of us to take stock not only of our physical and financial well-being, not only of our emotional and our social well-being, but causes us to take stock of our spiritual and our eternal well-being. 
And not just for us in the church, but for our friends, our relatives, our work associates, people that we know abroad, wherever they may be, that we have conversation with. Everybody's in this camp together when we realize the brevity and the uncertainty of life that this virus, this rogue virus, is no protector uh, of different kinds of people. And so we have the opportunity for God to continue to work that which I stated a few weeks ago, which is a revival, that there would be an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results, not just for us locally, but nationally, even globally. And this needs to be part of our heart cry. Richard Owen Roberts, a historian, I remember meeting with him one time. He lived in the Chicago area. He's very old. And... Um, we sat down and I said, I have a heart for revival. I've been studying about revival. And he says, well, one of the things you need to study, Carrie, is you need to find out how we got to where we are so we can get back to where we were. How did we get to where we are so we can get back to where we were? Well, I believe one of the ways we got to where we are is we become very self-sufficient. We become self-sufficient that we don't need God. We think that we're in control. We're the captains of our own soul. And that's not true. And so we're awakened to that during this time. And so this revival, this awakening movement that can happen here locally, I pray that God would take this and use this cataclysmic global event to bring about a great awakening. Are you interested in seeing a great spiritual awakening? Then let's look that direction and see if God is at work. We have different great awakenings in American history. The first great awakening was 1930s to the seven, I mean, 1730s to the 1740s. Jonathan Edwards was a part of that. He was a pastor of a small um, church in a small town, town of 1,100 people. But in three months, 300 of the people in that town came to know Christ. And that spread like wildfire to other places in 100 different towns where it started to take hold. And then there was the great preacher George Whitfield from uh, England who came and preached. He was probably the first American celebrity. There was only 900 people in the colonies at the time, 900,000 people in the colonies at the time. And it says that 80% of the people heard George Whitfield's preach. And multitudes of people came to know Christ during that first great awakening. Things settled down from there, and then God raised up a second great awakening that began somewhere around 1790s through the 1820s, 1830s. Charles Finney was one of the leaders and one of the great preachers of the Second Great Awakening that happened in American culture. At the beginning of the Second Great Awakening, only 15% uh, um, kind of people were, uh, had any kind of connection with church, evangelical church. And God moved during that time, and many people... Extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. There was a broad great awakening in the United States that was known at that time. Those are the two great awakenings that are understood without debate in church history for America. Now, there are other great awakenings that can be referenced. A third great awakening might have been in the 1850s through the 1900s, uh, up to the 1900s. D.L. Moody preached to volumes of people. The movement we're a part of, the Christian Missionary Alliance with A.B. Simpson, started during that kind of season of time as a great heart for global missions as well began to work. It's not fully 
own, though, that the Third Great Awakening happened during that time because there's certain different kinds of revivals that didn't spread maybe as broadly. But could it be that the next Great Awakening we could be on the hills of because God used something like this cataclysmic pandemic event to awaken people to their spiritual well-being and their eternal well-being, their need, their need. I want us to turn to Matthew 10 just briefly, if you've got your scriptures. In Matthew 10, early part of the ministry of Jesus, he sends his disciples out into the world. And as he sends his disciples out into the world, he has some pretty strong warnings for them. And I want to encourage us that if we're going to have a revival or great awakening in our nation, that we need to have a personal revival in our own hearts. And then we need to own that revival as a people. We're going to speak to that just a little bit more in a second. But here we see Jesus at the beginning of the Christian movement, sending out his 12 disciples. In chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to himself and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and to sickness. He sent them on their way. He told them to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, that it had come near the God's reign had come near to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse those who have leprosy, to drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give, Jesus taught. And then he told his 12, he says, you need to know something. He says this in verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you are to say. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Can you picture that, being one of those 12? No church, no Christian movement. There was just this would-be Messiah that was proclaiming that salvation would be found in him. The 12 gathered around, and he says, all right, here you go. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. And people are going to start to devour you, and, and you're going to get discouraged. You're going to have some pretty hard times. In fact, he goes on from here, and he talks about some of those challenges that they're going to be up against. But then there's this verse where he tries to come back and comfort them. At the same time, he's pulling back the curtain for them to understand the reality of what's going on in that known world at that time. And it says this in Matthew 10, verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, normally this verse is interpreted in referencing that God is the one who can destroy a body and soul in hell. And that's the vast majority of opinion. But there are some scholars, including N.T. Wright, who is a great uh, scholar and, and bishop of, of, of an ch uh, Anglican church, he said that it's really not referencing that, the O's not capitalized, the one. It's referencing that Satan can kill the body and the soul in hell. Now, you can have that debate whether it's God or Satan, but I want to point it out this way. We have so much focus on our physical well-being 
that the word needs to go out, that we need to be concerned about our soul, about our spiritual and eternal well-being. And Jesus tells his disciples as he's sending them out into a difficult world and, and we have you know, frontline workers and hospital workers and other people today who are putting themselves at risk physically of this virus. But Jesus says to his disciples when he sends them out related to their physical well-being, he says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Be afraid of those who kill the soul. In other words, there's something far more a part of who you are. You, are, you do not have a soul. You have a body, who, and you are a soul with a body. And so we need to make sure that we're focused not only on the physical well-being of people around us, but the soulish well-being, because that's ultimately what lives forever. And Jesus sends his disciples out. He encourages them that he is in control. And whether it's the adversary that can destroy and bring destruction to people or God himself by his sovereignty who created us and it can sustain us, we need to dial into the aspect that the soul and the body are both important and that we need to be taking care of each and dialing in. And could it be that the people you're communicating with right now or people that have fear or concerns, you need to start having conversations with them, not about their body. How are you doing? Are you sick? Are you okay? As you noticed here this morning, I still have some remnants of a cough and, and, <clears throat> that I have going on with me. But I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'm fine physically in many ways. And yeah, you got some aches and pains and you're lethargic and you're getting around. I'm doing much better and I had a great week, that kind of thing. But why not ask me, how are things with your soul? Not just how are things with your body? And Jesus was telling his disciples as he sent them out to make sure you're focusing on the whole spectrum. And we need to be focusing on the whole spectrum as well. But then Jesus, from this verse, he comes in and he gives us great encouragement. He says, verse 29 of Matthew 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. It was interesting with this verse this week, and you're thinking maybe I'll make this up, but I walked outside my patio and in my backyard, there was actually a bird, maybe it was a sparrow, I don't know, that was lying dead in my yard. And I'm like, where did that just bird fall out? Is this lying there dead? Did my dog try to drag it from somewhere? But it's amazing to me to think that God the Father would have seen that sparrow or that bird fall. He is close at hand with everything that happens. In this particular scripture, in the original text, it doesn't say that this sparrow fell by the Father's will or whatever. It just said outside your Father, period. And so the word care is put in there. Whatever's happening to you, in body or soul, the presence of the Father is there with you. Have you had a bad week? Have you had a discouraging week? Is the household driving you crazy? Are you concerned about your work? Are you concerned about your finances? The Father is there with you he loves you he knows you don't be afraid you're worth more than many many sparrows and he created you to be in communion with him and so as jesus sends his disciples out into a world a very dangerous world just like we fear that our world is sort of dangerous right now with this virus god says don't focus just on that body thing Focus on the soul. 
How are things with your soul? And go out and proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, God's rule and reign. Yes, heal the sick, reach out, encourage those who are broken. But Jesus is interested in the holistic person, not just this temporal life whether we're given a life expectancy of 35 years or 75 or 80 years. This life is brief. God has put eternity in our hearts, and we are created to be in communion with Him through all of eternity and in this life. Let's make sure that we are about the full spiritual awakening that God's doing in the midst of our day and our age. I want to look at another passage of Scripture referencing the biblical aspects of a spiritual awakening. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we see the disciples after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ beginning to build the church and taking the gospel's message into all the world. And in this early part, it has to do with uh, what's happening there in the Jerusalem environment. And it happens to be that Peter and John got in trouble and they were in prison and they released and the believers had prayed. So in Acts chapter 4, 31, we find the body, the church of Jesus doing this. And these are five key aspects for us to see spiritual awakening happen in our world, beginning in our own life. The first is that prayer is prioritized if we're to see a spiritual awakening. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no great awakening, there is no revival that's really ever recorded, whether biblically or modern times or American times, that did not begin with prayer. And so prayer is prioritized. And prayer for mostly is communion with God. And we pray not to make God, you know, do our beck and call, but we pray for God to align our will with His will. There is communion in prayer. And so I challenge us to prioritize prayer during this time as we seek God's spiritual awakening in our life and in the lives of others to align ourselves with God's will, to hear from Him, to find His strength and His comfort, and then to petition and ask of Him to move on the hearts of people. And so they prayed. And if we're going to have a spiritual awakening, then we are going to have to prioritize prayer. Interesting thing, just a few weeks ago, we started having a much um, more uh, defined prayer time pre-service. Some of you prayed. I actually got on my phone. Some individuals have said, hey, praying for you, Carrie, before I stepped up here. That's great. May I encourage us across the Awakening Church to prioritize prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, to move in our valley, to move in our neighborhoods, amongst our friends and our family. And may we align ourselves with God's will and what He is doing so that we may be able to see People come to know Christ, and people become fully alive in Christ, who maybe are dead and lethargic in their Christian faith. So, the first biblical aspect 
of a spiritual awakening is prayer. The second, believers are mobilized. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There was a mobilization of people to do God's work. Now, what does mobilize mean? Mobilize means to be inspired, to be equipped, and to be empowered, if you will, or liberated to do the ministry. If you were to ask me what I'm trying to accomplish in my talk here this morning, is I want to inspire you. I want to inspire each one of us that we would pull back the curtain, see what God's doing, and participate in His awakening in people's hearts and in our nation. So we need to be mobilized as believers, and that's what happened to them in Acts 4, in verse 31, as it mentions here. The third is unity is maximized. So not only is prayer prioritized, not only are believers mobilized, but unity is maximized. All the believers were one in heart and mind, it says in verse 32. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. So they joined in together. They started to to have unity in spirit. And I think one of the pretty cool things here is to see the church of Jesus Christ across this nation and around the world become unified in this aspect of this uh, pandemic. Unified through prayer. Unified through trying to encourage people and help those who are needy. Unified in trying to uplift hope through Jesus Christ. There is only one church in this valley, as I often say, and that's the church of Jesus Christ. And believers across this valley are united. Maybe you're even watching some other live streams this morning, or you've tuned me out because it's too boring and you go to someone else. Bye-bye, right? Come back, come back. And we are a part of a much broader body in the valley. But we need to be unified if we're going to see a great awakening happening. And so many times when you saw prayer initiatives happening through great awakenings in the United States, you saw people from every different kind of denomination background come together seeking God, aligning their will with God's will, and asking God to pour out His blessing and reach people for His glory. So prayer is prioritized, believers are mobilized, unity is maximized, and the fourth thing that comes from this scripture is the gospel is emphasized in a revival and awakening. It says, with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. May this be true of us. Do not shy away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God himself come in the flesh. Born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect sinless life. Was placed on a cross, crucified for our sins. He was in the grave three days and he rose from the grave. And now he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father And someday soon, he is going to return in bodily form as surely as he ascended into the heavens. And he's going to establish his physical reign in a new heaven and a new earth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message we have to give. 
We just don't have nice platitudes or I hope you're okay or I'll pray for you a little bit. We need to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that's in need because it's only through the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life by which our sins can be forgiven that we can have the hope of a full life this day and an eternal life to come. And what the disciples did and those gathered in that day, when they saw an awakening, they emphasized the gospel, and the gospel had to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He who was dead has now come to life. Friend, if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning, then I would be in despair too if I felt I could go out at any time and pick up a virus that could possibly lead to my death. But even if I was to die knowing Christ, I know that I will be raised from the dead and live eternally with him. That gives me hope. That gives me confidence. That gives me peace and assurance. But if you don't have that, then I encourage you this morning to consider giving your life to Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, who has conquered death. Death, where is your sting, the Apostle Paul said, because he, Jesus, conquered death. And so they proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that gospel made its way and changed the world. The fifth thing is this. Compassion is actualized. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. We have the proclamation of the gospel, but we have the demonstration of Christ's ministry. And so the compassion that Jesus calls us to give to people was actualized in their midst as people sold things, brought it to the apostles, and they helped the needy. Prayers prioritized. Believers are mobilized. Unity is maximized, the gospel is emphasized, and compassion is actualized. Those are the hallmarks of a biblical spiritual awakening. It can be true in your life. It can be true in our valley, our nation, and the world. But if we're ever to experience a great awakening in this country, guess where it's going to begin? It's going to begin with you and me. And do we have an experience of spiritual awakening going on within us? Maybe you're trying to figure out what to do with your time, how to keep the kids busy, how to stay on top of things remotely at your job. Could God be giving you and I this time to be able to seek Him, to let Him waken up our spirit and our heart to Him. I've been asking God to do that in my own soul. Lord, this season where we've sort of parked ourselves, may we not become weary in the midst of doing nothing, but may we seek You out and ask You to work in our heart whether it's in reading God's Word, whether it's in praying, whether it's communing with others that we seek to encourage by, by phone or FaceTime, whatever it may be. Are you asking God to awaken you spiritually during these weeks that you've been gifted? What could He have you read? Where could He have you go in His Scriptures? 
Maybe he needs you to memorize some scripture. Meditate on it. Ask him to help him help you see things as he sees things in our world. Lord, make me spiritually alive. If ever there's to be a great awakening through a pandemic, it's going to start with Christians who are seeking to be made fully alive in Christ. It says this in 1 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I think we should take that passage of Scripture, put it on the top of our television when we watch news. May we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. May we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. If there's going to be a spiritual awakening amongst Christians, it's going to be a coming back to Jesus to be fully uh, empowered with all the Christian graces. And God can do that through His Holy Spirit, even this very hour, if you're to seek Him. So don't lose heart. Friends, all of us are wasting away. We're all getting older. Whether it's a virus or natural death, we will shed these bodies. But our soul lives eternally, and we will gain a new immortal body to live eternally with the Lord. And that is our destiny, is to be with Him and to rule and reign with Him throughout all of eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. This is sort of like boot camp. And we have a special version of boot camp for these months here that we're in isolation or we're having to, to alter our lifestyles. And so while we're in this season, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, on what is unseen through a spiritual realm, but is every much real as if it was tangible to touch this very moment. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Your spiritual awakening, your personal spiritual awakening as a Christian, I challenge you, I pray for it to be happening in your life during these days. But for some of you, you've never crossed the line of faith to invite Christ into your life. And I want to encourage you here as we close this morning that you too could receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have a friend or a relative, some of you who are Christians that need to know Jesus. You need to pray for them. You need to broach spiritual conversation. Ask them about their fear, what's going on, or why are you uncertain about this or that. You can turn a natural conversation to a spiritual conversation much easier during a pandemic, I'm sure. Seek out what's in the deeper part of someone's heart and soul. But if you're not a believer in Christ today, I want you to experience a personal spiritual waking by having Jesus Christ come into your life. It says this in John 3.16, Jesus was exhorting Nicodemus that he needed to be born again. In the scriptures, they say, they say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever, means anyone from around the world, even listening to this um, message today, whoever believes in him, that that person will not perish but that person will have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. 
If that's your desire today to become spiritually alive, you've been spiritually flatlined, there's no life in you uh, other than your own sinful nature and your struggles and your challenges and your fears and your uncertainties, I invite you to invite the one who brought you life into your life. Jesus Christ, who created you, through his spirit, can come and penetrate your very vessel, your body right now, and come and reside within you through his spirit. And it can be happening in your life through a very simple means. The first is this. Admit that you're a sinner and you're in need of a relationship with God. Now, you may not think you're a big-time sinner, but the Scriptures say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Because God demonstrated His love towards us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And that if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, we too can be saved. When you admit that you're a sinner, you're turning from indifference and double-mindedness. Whether you've been involved or are involved in deep sin now or not, you're leaving that life of sin. You're repenting and you're turning to have a relationship with God. These are simple ABCs of how to find salvation. So the first is A, admit you're a sinner in need of a relationship with God. The second is believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in his life, his death, and his resurrection. You may still have some questions here or there, the nuances of it, but take the scripture, take the word, talk to a friend. You're believing Jesus Christ is who he claimed he is, who is the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself come in the flesh lived a perfect life, he died for our sins, he was crucified on a cross, and he was raised from the grave. We celebrate Easter here in a couple of weeks, and we will celebrate the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that needs to become personal. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, A, B, and then C, confess Christ as your Savior and Lord for this life and for all of eternity. A lot of people believe Jesus was God, that he died, he rose. But until you make it personal, till you place your faith and trust in him, and you confess Christ as your Savior, your Lord, your leader, then nothing happens. But the moment that you yield and you bend your knee and say, Jesus, I am sorry, I repent of my sin. I believe you are who you said you were. I now confess you as Lord and Savior. Come into my life and live in my life, in this life, in the life to come. For you are my Savior. Is that a prayer that you could pray? I challenge you that if you've never known the Lord Jesus Christ in this difficult time that's happening across our world, that you would receive him, that you would be born again. Confess Jesus as Lord and he will be faithful. Serve him all the days of your life. Friends, what we're seeing around us is temporary, but there is an eternal, and that is your soul. How's your soul today? Your soul well-being, your eternal well-being. May we anticipate a great revival and awakening in your family, in our church, in our valley, our nation, and the world, as we pull back the curtain and we say, God, what's really at work? And maybe on the hills of this cataclysmic event, 
there could be a great revival and awakening. You know, after World War II, which shocked and shuddered everybody, premier cities in the world being bombed to pieces, sick and dying, hundred millions of people dying, uncertainty abound. When World War II ended, there was a spiritual awakening because it shook the very foundation of us as human beings. Life is not certain. There is only one who is in control, and it's not me or you. It's God. So during this time of uncertainty, may we cry out to God. May we pray as a church. May we be mobilized as believers, unified together, proclaiming the gospel, giving compassionately to others. May we see God bring about a great awakening in our day and age. And as surely as my daughter asked me, Dad, are we seeing history written right now? May we, when we get older, look back on this time and not focus so much on a pandemic that caused everything to stop and the stock market to fall and the government to have to act. But may we look back and say, God moved powerfully in our land and in our nation, spiritually. There was a great awakening. The churches were filled. People's lives were changed. Culture had a different trajectory after that pandemic because Jesus Christ, through his spirit, took over. May that be the history that's being written. May it be written first in our life, in our church, in our nation, in our world. Will you pray with me? God, I ask today that if there's anyone who needs to pray the ABCs of admit, believe, and confess that you would enable them right now to do that. And so would you pray with me if that is your desire? Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and in need of a relationship with you. Jesus, I believe in you, in your perfect life, your death for my sin and your resurrection from the grave. And Jesus, I now confess you as my personal Savior and Lord. Come into my life. Change me. Take leadership from this day and into eternity. I will seek to love and serve you. Amen and amen. If that was your prayer, I encourage you just to email me. Pray at theawakening.church. Pray at theawakening.church. Tell me of your decision. If you have a spiritual need, let me know. We're going to be in touch online virtually throughout this week. We're sort of learning our game plan as a church, how to get this all accomplished, as are so many churches globally. But we are the church. We are still the church. And we are together in this. For his eye is on the sparrow, and he watches over you. and He watches over me this week. God bless. We'll see you online. See you next week for live stream. Amen and amen.